begin with the country that is now in last place. That is United Kingdom. And the United Kingdom gets from the public zero points. Germany has received from the public zero points. And the public points going to Spain are another zero points. The Netherlands, you have received from the public zero points. Hello and welcome to the EuroWhat, episode number 135 for the week of November 22nd, 2021. I'm Ben Smith and I'm joined today by Mike McComb. Hey Mike. Hello. We are a pair of Americans trying to make sense of the Eurovision Song Contest and this week we'll be talking about the dreaded Null Point. It is turkey time and we have found yet another definition of turkey. I was having a conversation with my husband earlier. It's like, yeah, I don't know what our plan is for next year, but uh, yeah, like we we will play this angle as much as we can. Yeah. So. It, okay. So Turkey is a bowling thing, correct? Am I? Yes. Okay. Cool. What Eurovision stars have bowled? Work on it for next year. Okay. Image service photos of just former Eurovision contestants holding a bowling trophy or a bowling ball or being in a bowling alley for some reason. Oh, you know, come to think of it, I was looking up the documentary, This is Monoskin, and uh, there's a portion of it that takes place in a bowling center. So uh, yeah, we, we we should be good to go. Ma- making okay. the notes now. <laughs> Get ready, <laughs> listeners. Uh, in the meantime, we've got like a little bit of, of news that's piled up since our last episode. Uh, most exciting, Georgia has announced their entrant, and it feels real fun. Yes. I've been going kind of back and forth on this uh, in the last week uh, since they were announced. But uh, yes, uh, Circus Mercus will be representing Georgia uh, in Turin in 2022. Yeah, and they, they dropped an intro video of that, that was mostly just like a hello. We are Circus Mercus. Here's an email address where you can contact us. And like part of me really wants to email them, but part of me is also scared. Yeah, I'm not so much scared, but just uh, more like, uh, what what do I write exactly? But <laughs> in the last couple of days, they also posted a manifesto on Instagram, which manifesto is one of those things that just kind of makes me go, hmm. Yeah, it's uh, six bullet points of uh, their mission statement. Uh, Circus Mercus is a fellowship of people who share their desire to create something extraordinary. All right. Uh, your identity does not matter as long as you are a part of Circus Mercus, for no one person can take credit for the movement's work. All right. Genre is for the weak. Hmm. Okay. Uh, <laughs> every member is equal. Every member is unique. Ask why, not who. And honor the golden rule of anonymity, which I'm wondering if that is just like, cool your jets. Uh, it's a long way till May. I don't know. <laughs> it's a long way to May. Please stop trying to Google who we are. <laughs> Uh, although we did do a little bit of that uh, just to kind of get get their story because their video is uh, very interesting. But 
according to their story, and this is one of my points of interest with Circus Mercus, is they seem to be coming across as unreliable narrators, and I'm curious to see how that's going to play out for the next six months. <laughs> as as we have seen in the past, I'm always here for a Eurovision act that that is aware that they are a Eurovision act and they are presenting an image at all times. According to their story, uh, they uh, are three guys that uh, dropped out of uh, circus school and formed a band and uh, during used their time during quarantine to create a whole bunch of uh, interesting videos and uh, paired up with songs that they were just kind of tooling around with in the last year. Yeah, they've got about 10 videos, I think, on uh, YouTube. And yes, they're, they're pretty interesting. Yes. Yeah, like I was going through those because I expected this to just have dropped out of the sky without any previous YouTube content. I was like, okay, maybe this will give me a sense of what they're going for. And I've watched the videos and I don't know what they're going for. They all have very different vibes. Have you seen the videos of, I, th- I think his name is Drew Rohe of uh, Chloe Sevigny? Yes. Yes. I, I, yes. I have seen Chloe Sevigny videos online. Yeah. Like it's, it's kind of that aesthetic and sense of humor and I am very much in favor of that. So, <laughs> yeah, no, like th- this feel like just from the outset here with the limited information we have, this feels like it's going to be interesting to watch. Whether that's good, interesting, or or trash fire, interesting remains to be seen. It could be both. I think that has worked uh, with contestants in the recent past. So, yeah, twenty 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 two is getting off to a promising start. I think that's the takeaway from this. Yeah, so. <laughs> is, is yeah. Like, of of the acts that we know are coming, I'm very intrigued by all of them. Let's see. And then the other big news that uh, dropped since our last episode, we've got a premiere date for the American Song Contest. Uh, ben, you were correct that it is going to be happening right after the Olympics. Uh, it will be premiering on NBC on February 21st. Yes, I uh, really need to get rid of the monkey's paw here in uh, Eurowet headquarters because I keep saying things and then I keep looking over at it and one of the fingers curls and just like, oh, that's that's interesting. Well, it's it's well, this isn't really like a monkey's paw situation. It's just sort of a when I was ex- when I was speculating uh, last time, I did not expect to be correct so quickly. Maybe it's not the monkey's paw. Maybe it's the secret. Or I, I don't know. <laughs> is that better? Is that worse? It, I don't no, <laughs> I mean, I have not had the American Song Contest on my vision board. Not too much more information in terms of format. Like it's still the same. Uh, like there's going to be 56 competing acts, and it sounds like it might be a six week format. I was a little confused on what the timetable was. I mean, if Christer is is overseeing it, uh, emulating uh, Melfest, especially given 56 entries, uh, does not feel like a bad strategy. Yeah. Yeah. Or if it's uh, kind of the like Pabondum is now model, which is kind of what I was taking away because it, it's three qualifying heats, two semifinals, and then a final. Okay. But not, nothing in terms of breakdown because like six doesn't go into 56. So there could be double episodes in there. And uh, just with the sheer number of contestants, maybe they're not really going to be bothering with the backstory part. In which case, this may be the greatest music competition that is just ever like made. it's just like <laughs> NBC. I know that you are filming some of those. Just stop now. I don't. I don't want to see it. Let's see. Just like that's what that's what Peacock is for. Just have like a Peacock channel where I can ignore the content, uh, but that's like everybody's tragic backstory. Uh, in Eurovision Song Contest uh, lead up, uh, we've had a few announcements about selections and one selection has already had a quarterfinal Estee Lau. Ooh, 
yeah, that one just kind of snuck up on me. I was updating my calendar and be like, oh, Estonia is on Saturday. Okay. Uh. <laughs> but it, but it was Eurovision again. How can I do both? Uh, we will, we will get to Eurovision again, again. Yes. So uh, Estonia is uh, toying with a new format uh, for East Lal this year. Uh, they are having four quarterfinals, each uh, with 10 songs competing. Uh, and it's kind of like a total request live situation where they're playing the 10 videos associated with the songs and then home audience votes. And there is a jury that helps with the selection. Five of the songs will go through to semifinals. That'll be happening the first week of February. And it will just kind of pick up uh, as a normal East Lal competition. So uh, the two semifinals will have live performances or some version of a live vocal performance, just kind of depending on where the things are at in February. But uh, did you get a chance to watch uh, any of Saturday's show? I did not. And I'm, I'm kind of sad now that it was like a TRL format. That's That's new. That's exciting. Well, I feel like they have done like preview video shows before. Now that I think about it, but yeah, like last year they uh, announced the uh, I think it was the running order. They did something with the music videos. Usually they just drop them on YouTube and then you watch them. But I guess with forty videos, that that's just kind of a big ask uh, for folks. So kind of doling it out ten at a time. And and I like the way that they are doling out the information. Like on Mondays, they are announcing who the artists are and the name of their songs. Uh, the Actual tracks drop on Friday, and then uh, the quarterfinal is on Saturday. So uh, you kind of get information sprinkled out through the week. Yeah, well, we have that to look forward to for the next three Saturdays then. That's exciting. Yeah, I can't believe we're going to have 40 songs in the eventual playlist very soon. So. Very soon. <laughs> uh, and then elsewhere, uh, Festival Ikengis has, has dropped information about this year's event. Uh, that typically happens around the December holidays. This year, it's no exception. It is December 27th through 29th. Uh, 20 artists have been announced, including uh, some returning names from last year, like Mirud, Avi Ricci, and Castro Zizo. We're still waiting to hear on what the actual format of the competition will be, uh, since last year's was like the first one that was held outdoors and without an orchestra. I think they want to try to get back to uh, how the contest was usually held but i thought last year's format was really nice like they kind of cut to the chase probably because everybody was really cold and they're just like no 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 faffing about <laughs> let's mm-hmm. announce the winner and move on <laughs> also happening next month is the czech republic selection they are announcing the songs for their online selection on december 6th and they are going to have uh, all of the contestants do their live on tape uh, performances. Uh, and those will be the videos that will be shared and that people are voting on. And everybody gets to vote on it, even uh, people in the U.S. So that'll be exciting. And the results of that vote will be revealed on December 16th. So that should be the first song of 2022. In addition to Estee Lau, as we mentioned, uh, Eurovision again had its last uh, appearance for the year. And this time we went back to 2004 in Turkey. I enjoyed that contest, although, again, just sort of uh, the randomness of a fully random draw. I could not get into this one at all. Like, when it got to the point where uh, we were voting on the 10 songs, I really struggled to fill out a list of 10. I also had some trouble getting to 10 with this one. The songs were either immaculate or were just hot garbage. I feel like this period... In many ways, especially doing some of the research for 
this episode in particular, I'm just Mm -hmm. like, early 2000s Eurovisions are very interesting to me because it's very much shifting from what it was in the 90s into what we know now. And it had some real awkward years. 2004 is a year that keeps coming up in these topics. Like it came up in our last episode about Belarus. It came up in uh, the Albania episode that we did last year. And like, it's the first year that they did semifinals. Like it is a very pivotal year in Eurovision's history, but like the final, I don't think fully illustrated that. No. And like, especially once we got to the voting portion of the evening, we're like, oh no, we are literally going to be here all night as everybody goes through all of their votes. Yeah. I mean, at least that was something that they realized very quickly. Uh, they're just like, oh, yeah, we can't do this every year. Otherwise, it will be a five-hour show. So. <laughs> yes. Uh, like, the graphic design on the scoreboard, very good. Love it. Iconic. Great. Uh, the the actual giving of the scores, I'm just like, I want to die. Yeah, yeah. A, a lot, a lot of numbers. So, <laughs> it, like at, at some point midway through, I lost track of how many countries we had left. And I'm like, well, I know that Ukraine wins. How much does Ukraine win by? Can I use that as a as a bellwether to where we are in the 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 lineup of how many countries are left to vote? But the top of the leaderboard kept shifting so much that yeah, which I mean is exciting. Like I can imagine that it was very exciting in two thousand four. But yeah, like knowing how it plays out, it's like oh, can we just rope an end to this? <laughs> so. I had known uh, Ruslana's Wild Dances. Like that's just a that's a fun song. Ukraine's whole thing about having a strategy of like we're going to appear at Eurovision, then we're going to win it. It really feels like a wake up call after the first nine entries. Apologies to the first nine entries. Yeah, those first nine entries knew what they were doing. So, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like I mean that that was the first song where it's like, oh, like, the show has actually started. Thank you. So <laughs> yes, I did appreciate how as the night goes on, the various postcards start to feel more and more uh, weird and dreamlike of just like, oh, cool. They just green screened the Sufi again. Thank you again, Eurovision again. It's been a great summer. Enjoy your time off. You've earned it. Looking over, like, we have, like, roughly 65 years of entries, uh, and trying to separate them into categories got me thinking about, okay, how do, how do you classify these? How do you figure out sort of a definition for a null point? And that made me start thinking about another kind of music-related, pop music-related term specifically that different people approach with different criteria from one another that also uh, got really nicely uh, taxonomied, if that's a word, uh, the one-hit wonder. Hmm. So Chris Melanthi on Hit Parade tried to approach that last September and gave a pretty solid definition of what a one-hit wonder means. I refer, like, refer you over to that episode if you haven't listened to it, just because he does a very good job of breaking down why AHA's take on me qualifies as a one-hit wonder, while something like Men Without Hats, The Safety Dance, it does not. He set up some rules to help define that, so I thought it would be helpful to define some rules for what is a proper no point. And feel free to argue with me in the in, on our Twitter but like my first thought is that a proper no point gets zero points on the standard 12-point scoring system. 
is like that is when it sort of came to prominence and it also means that we don't have to think about any of like the 20 entries prior to the introduction of the 12 point scoring system the scoring system in the early years kind of kept changing and they kept trying to figure out how to best do things and it means that there were just sort of less points overall to be shared in the first place which means that you're going to have lots of possibilities for two or three songs to end up with nothing at the end of the night if you've got like a really solid reason that we should be roasting Domenico Modugno's Dio Como Ti Amo or any of those other 19 songs, uh, please get in our mentions. I will yeah. take this. I will, I will take this rule under reconsideration. But for now, we're only talking about since the 12 point system was introduced. Uh, so my second rule is that a proper no point entry gets truly no point total. So this is not me trying to avoid having to turn on my VPN to watch things from 2017 on where they're still geo blocked. There's something about there a, a an entry having zero on only either the jury side or only the televote side that doesn't feel that's not a true no point it got points yeah i think specifically of austria's entry in 2017 where i think they got the last 12 points from the juries uh and it was from bulgaria and i think part of that was bulgaria was maybe throwing their 12 away to uh not cause problems on the scoreboard for them Austria then received zero points in the televote. And it's like, okay, there's there's something hinky going on here. <laughs> yes. And like it's gotten much harder to truly get no point in the contest just because they've introduced semifinals. They've introduced the split voting system. But it also helps clear up years like this year where lots of things didn't work for either the jury or the televote, but got points overall. Which means that when we were talking about 2021, there is only one no point, and it is James Newman's Embers. Uh dis- despite like that that like initial like scoreboard moment of just terror of just zero points zero points zero points yeah yeah that (laughs) yeah like that was (laughs) i think i said this in may but just like watching the discord room i had created for our little virtual eurovision party just like lose its mind especially because it's people who don't watch a ton of eurovision and i'm just like and and i'm losing my mind as a person who watches too much eurovision yeah it was a bonding moment but maybe not for the right reason it was a bonding moment there was just a lot there was a lot of expletives being thrown around in the chat and it was delightful oh geez <laughs> yeah one final rule is that a no point needs to happen in the grand final during the final scores and i th- like i'm making that distinction largely because we generally don't get to see these semifinal scores until well after the grand final is done mm. and there's something about that moment of seeing on screen in the full scoreboard when we are getting country by country scores that oh nobody gave this points yeah sort of like they're being taken to task in a way yeah yes this is kind of sad because there are some things that i watched that got zero points in their semifinal where i wanted to like eventually talk about them because i'm just like what was going on with like switzerland 2004 what were you thinking mm. what is this and like especially because uh your vision again turned out to be 2004 would have loved to go to that entry but like it didn't make it through the semifinal right it it doesn't have that same public just talking about that that mo- that oh no moment from this year's contest with the the bottom entries mm-hmm. it doesn't have that same public shock moment uh of realizing something has gotten zero points during the grand final yeah yeah cuz like in 2019 with uh the jury split i mean granted there was the whole belarus uh vote total situation uh where the, the spreadsheet was sorted wrong had it been sorted properly we would have seen that Israel got zero points from the jury, but it wouldn't have been like announced other than it showing up on screen and be like, oh, Israel's at the bottom of the scoreboard. Oh, Israel's at the bottom. So. Mm-hmm. Yes. 
Uh, so by applying those three rules, we have now cut things down to 17, quote unquote, proper Nobois entries in the history of the contest, which is still a lot. Yeah. Although if you're still putting together your uh, ESC 250 ballot, uh, that, that's a good shortlist to work off. Yeah, there, of, so. yeah, yeah. exactly. There, they, like, <laughs> that's a reasonable shortlist of, of like causing some mischief. Yes. <laughs> With that in mind, uh, I'm going to kind of talk through some of these, some of them more so than others, just because some of them, some of them are worth talking about. Some of them are just like, oh, yeah, that happens. It's just like there are times, there are lots of times where it's just like, oh, you sent a ballot on a party year. So as part of prepping for this, I have had in my little Eurovision library uh, a book by Tim Moore called No Point that I forget the exact publishing date, but is clearly sometime after the UK uh, infamously got No Point for Crybaby and 2015 happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like it is very much like a white dude travelogue book of just of just sort of it's very much written in the perspective of of wow can you believe this wacky thing happened to me hmm, okay that, yeah that that got kind of tiring through it and then also he he's a British writer so like he's very much in tune with like what Terry Wogan would say like he refers to Terry a couple times and like that's an immediate red flag for me now in in 2021 of just like oh but like i've looked at what terry wogan would say about eurovision stuff and it it's really just age like milk so the purpose of that book is that he decided i either because it seemed like a good deal a good idea for a book and who doesn't like money or just out of an actual interest to try and visit everybody who who no point in the history of the contest and in a few instances he fails and i will try to talk about that when it pops up but it, like it's it's an interesting concept uh again like from the tone like of, of just sort of like here's the wacky adventures of me where i'm like okay how much of this happened and how much of this is heightened for effect in certain moments but it was still a, it was nice to sort of see him trying to follow up with these contestants and see where are they now that part of it i liked and that part was helpful in in seeing that there is life beyond uh getting zero points at eurovision uh so with that in mind let's start out with 1978 the first time this happens under the 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 modern scoring system with 12 points uh meal et meal for norway So Jan Tegan is their uh, is their entrant that year, uh, and it turns out like one thing that I, in doing my research for this, found out is that uh, he strongly disliked the brass heavy arrangement of the song. And like if you listen to the song as it was performed at Eurovision and the way it was released as a single, they are night and day different. Yes, when I was pulling audio clips, it's like oh, or, or I had to double check to make sure I was that I had given the you the correct, correct link. Yes, yeah. because the the version released as a single is like very seventies country rock. mm Hmm the version that shows up at eurovision is just very different and i don't know if it was just that he didn't like the arrangement and like that meant that the performance was less good or if you on the other hand if you look at the winner that year it's abba nibi which is a very different vibe meal et meal tops the charts in norway for five weeks oh and is the, in the top 10 for 19 consecutive weeks total so like not not terrible wow that yeah not bad at all yeah and then uh also jan tegan is a four-time winner of melody grand prix he goes on to either represent or write songs for other people that represent Norway in the contest. Oh, yeah, it sounds like this didn't really phase him at all. Three years later, in 1981, uh, Norway Nopoise again. This one, once I got the details on it, was wild to me. Finn Kalovic uh, does Aldri e Livet. Uh, the studio version of that song is produced by Benny Anderson of ABBA. 
Oh. And it has backing vocals from Agnetha and Anifried. Oh, wow. Yeah, so that's got three quarters of ABBA right there. Right. For this one, again, it could have just been like a, the wrong song for the year's vibe. Uh, but like he performs literally right before Buck's Fizz. Oh, okay. And like if Bugs Fizz, does, there, there's always a Bugs Fizz connection. Always. <laughs> I'm just assuming that everybody was like, oh my goodness, they just pulled the skirts off and, and did not and all and just sort of immediate. Well, it's juries. So, so it's not, it's not the home viewer, but just sort of a lot is going on. And again, it's, it's a much more up tempo year. The earnest folk song performed on guitar is probably not going to get it. Yeah. I mean, it, it seems like so chaste today by today's standards but i could see that like just blowing people's minds in 1981 so the first two uh no point of the modern era are both norway uh norway in 1982 sends jan tegan and his partner anita skorgan and how does he do he does he does fine he gets points yay (laughs) (laughs) that's what matters uh but also happening in 1982 is that finland gets uh no point uh, and like Finland that year sends an anti-war punk song, oh. specifically anti. It's like nuclear disarmament, essentially. Okay. Which again, maybe it just wasn't the vibe, especially if you consider that the winner was uh, Ein bisschen Friesen. Yeah. Frieden. It's it's just like a bit of friendship. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, that's yeah. how we wanted to approach this <laughs> this sort of very tense moment last year. We talked about Turkey in 1983. Uh, Chet and Alps opera. Thank you for not having me clip that again, because it's still been stuck in my head from our conversation last year. <laughs> you are welcome. But yeah, no, we've... Well, and like that one is like is like one of the particularly dark stories. Apparently, like he did not take uh, getting zero points well. He essentially disappeared from public view. And I think I discussed that last year. But like reading through uh, No Point again, just like, yeah, I can't... Like I couldn't get in contact with him. Like when he was trying to reach out to all of the people, was like, oh, Chetnell died four years ago oh yeah yeah yes that's that's the interesting thing about the book is that he there are multiple chapters where he fails to meet up with the person okay uh and like one of the one of the other people he fails to meet up with is spain's entry from 1983 remedios amaya's kien maneja mi barca This one, I think, is just sort of like I I have watched the entry and like thinking of it, listening to it and seeing what it was going for made me think of Portugal's entry uh, about cell phones. Really? Yes. Because where I'm just like, oh, this is very interesting. I like what it's going for, but I'm not sure that it that it's going to connect with who it needs to connect with right now in a way that is successful because Remedios Amaya, it, her music is flamenco rock. It's it's sort of taking traditional flamenco music and doing something more interesting and more rock with it, more avant-garde than I think Eurovision tends to successfully go. Avant-garde definitely jumped out. And I, I was trying not to do too much research on this, uh, like trying to come into this like as uh, unspoiled, I guess, uh, as possible. But you had me pull the clip for this one. And it reminded me of like a little bit of Grace Jones, a little bit of Nina Hagen, and... Like it, it felt very 1982 in that particular avant-garde style. Yes. Uh, but 
Yeah, it just felt so out of place. And then I saw that in the running order, this song immediately followed Turkey. So that was a wild 10 minutes. Yeah, that was uh, like a real weird 10 <laughs> minutes for everyone involved. Think that it just suffers from being too, uh, just sort of like too different for Eurovision at the time. Yeah, I, although I think it would still be a hard sell today like i don't even know if i liked it but it was just like i agree is is like i watched it again like i watched it my my reaction was a very midwestern well that was interesting again chet and elp like does poorly basically disappears off the face of the earth poor guy Hmm. uh remedios also had kind of a rough time she essentially disappears for about a decade but then comes back she's still she's still doing music she's still sort of pursuing this sort of flamenco thing the next time that we see a Nolpois, there is a Nolpois for a three-year run of 87, 88, 89. Uh, so 1987, Turkey again. Hmm. 1988, uh, we've seen that one on Eurovision again. Uh, Wilfried's uh, Lisa Mona Lisa, which is definitely a song. Uh, I, I rewatched clips of all of these prepping for this episode. Didn't feel like this one needed to be pulled. But like, I was just like, oh, yeah, this one just really doesn't work, especially when you know that Celine Dion is sort of like somewhere in the mix mm. and it's just going to blow the walls off of the venue. Yeah. And then again, 1989, the third year in a row with a Nolpois entry and the unfortunate recipient is Iceland, uh, which, again, if you're looking at what's winning at Eurovision, it's not what they're sending. Okay. Uh, because like in 1989, uh, Rock Me wins for Yugoslavia, come back Yugoslavia, uh, and... And like this was the interesting one in uh, in Nopois because Tim Moore like tracks down tracks down the performer and essentially like the performer like wasn't super into the song and like also wasn't super into their wardrobe and also just like all these things where they sort of did it because they felt like they had to, which I think doesn't lead to the best results as we can see. The way Iceland approaches Eurovision, like you'd have to think that every once in a while there may be somebody who feels like they were conscripted into into performing. Like, it's like, well, yeah, it's either. Well, this and like or when I watch this entry, like again, I said we can't talk about things that failed in their semifinal, but it reminds me of their entry from I want to say yeah, twenty eighteen, so pre Hitari. Oh, when yes. we had it, it felt very Ari, where it's like very, very sort of like. Well, in this case, like very peak 80s ballad. Okay. Oof. It's a little too earnest in a year where we just wanted to, we we just wanted to rock me. Mm-hmm. Luckily in 1990, nobody, no pause. Yay. <laughs> Yay. Uh, but in 1991, it's back. Uh, and this is another one that we have seen on Eurovision again. And like, this is like, for whatever reason, and I will discuss this with some of the other 90s ones, is like my ability to sort of figure out what the vibe was just completely goes away with 90s Eurovision. Mm-hmm. Just, the contest is very serious at the time and like always trying to frame it as, okay, was it the right style of song for the year is tricky with 1991 because technically there was a tie. Oh, that's right. Is, is that like I was I was real quick to be like, well, Austria is sending sort of like a slower song, you know, because like Corolla wins. But I'm like, no, but like France sent a very good ballad. So like the the room was split yeah that makes that makes sense well and like with some of these as the number of entries is increasing stuff is going to get lost in the mix mm-hmm. and if you're not creating an impression uh you're not going to get votes from the points givers at the time just the jury and if that's not happening you're going to get zero points yeah uh continuing on sort of our tour of the 90s in 1994 a bunch of countries join the competition and that's when they start figuring out relegation based on past performance lithuania makes a debut and immediately gets zero points Oof. yeah i would not have blamed them for uh not coming back but like they do uh, we're getting towards like the part of the 90s where i can't really read the room and like there's just like because i was re-watching the 1997 
contest entries that fail because there's two of them. Uh, Norway again with San Francisco uh, and then Portugal also null pause. Hmm. And like, I just remember watching that Eurovision again and just being like, why is ni- why is the 1997 Eurovision Song Contest feel like it's like a PBS music special? <laughs> just everybody's very serious. And, uh, admittedly, this is like in the thick of Ireland's multiple wins, regardless of what they sent. Because like they kept sending sort of very similar vibe-ish songs and just everybody started sending those. Yeah, but I mean, like you've, you've got that. You've got the uk also winning so it's just like it's very english heavy and 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 a lot of the all of the restrictions where it's like oh you have to have the orchestra but then if you have instruments on stage you also have to have that be part of the performance and and it's it's just there's so many constraints to what's being created that i know you're not you're not really getting art there's a lot of constraints you're at sort of like the imperial phase for english driven eurovision songs where it's stuff like ireland and the uk that are doing super well because of that Uh, occasionally like malta will sneak through to the top five Mm -hmm. you're seeing moments where things are starting to have fun with the contest especially in 1997 because like i remember the icelandic performance from that year feels very modern eurovision but at the time it's very different so it was near the bottom of the scoreboard right and if you look at Portugal, like Portugal is doing some goofy stuff with their backing singers in their 1997 performance in a way that like nobody else seems willing to go. Everybody else is doing very serious. We have sent we've sent this man and he's singing this song very earnestly. Yes. The language of rule drops towards the end of the 90s and sort of the floodgate cracks open of other nations having a chance and being able to send stuff in English. But the next time you see a Nolpois is 2003, and I feel like it's like the end of that imperial phase, particularly for the UK, because that's when they send Gemini and Crybaby. All of the elements of this performance are bad. Oh, man. Like, this was really dreadful audio to pull. My old office was across the street from a Bye Bye Baby, uh, which Mm -hmm. is part of the... (laughs) Yeah, which is part of the... I I think it's part of the Bed Bath & Beyond uh, consortium. But, uh, yeah, it's just... And it's by, like, B-U-Y, B-U-Y, Baby, and... Yeah, it's just like it's such an awful name, and <laughs> like it would be the butt of a lot of jokes, like at work. <laughs> and... This is this is another one where Tim Moore's book was helpful in understanding because, like, I think again, I think the book was written very closely after this had happened for the UK. Mm-hmm. Maybe that was maybe that was the inciting inc- incident for why he decided to write the book. Yeah, but just from interviewing the members of Gemini, it sounds like the UK was just high on its own supply. Just just like gassing themselves up. We've done it. We're sending a great entry. And like it turns out like there was a lot of miscommunication between the band's management and the BBC because they didn't have in-ear, in-ear monitors. Oh, no. The BBC is like your management is supposed to provide those. Their management was like, well, the BBC was going to provide those. So like that's part of why it's oh, it's no. it's just sort of dreadful. Oh, yeah, it's, it just sounds like a lot of miscommunication was happening. But again, like the UK is going in and is just sort of bragging to everybody. We've got a great entry. We've got a great song. And 
I feel like a lot of people could see. Uh, you might not. Yeah, because uh, the in-ear monitor has nothing to do with the studio track that is on Spotify. <laughs> that is available. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, well, like, like, they were one of four entries in like a song for, for Europe where like this did get selected somehow so i i have not gone back to see what the other three entries were yeah because like maybe this was the best uh, uh, again like it's just sort of a very confident nation going we can send anything and we'll win uh <laughs> and, and again the monkey's paw has curled because uh n- now they now they can send anything and no yeah oh, um goodness. although rewatching this performance which i also found very painful uh i mostly got through it because there's a current moment right now where i have realized that Oh, uh, looking back at particularly like early to mid 2000s styling choices, mm-hmm. I'm just like, oh, this is why my parents hate photos from certain decades. Yeah. Yeah. Because like <laughs> we made very questionable choices as people and there are photographs of the choices we made. Yeah. I think that was the toughest part of the 2004 Eurovision again. It'd be like, oh, these people went out of the house looking like that on purpose and everybody was okay with that so. yes um there was a series of tiktoks uh sometime in the last couple months of someone just sort of walking through the various styling choices and they they did a two-part of just sort of women's fashion choices in like 2004 to 2008 and then did like a follow-up on on men's style that was just like ed hardy shirts what were we doing yeah yeah that, that's just <laughs> hilarious of just sort of it was a it, it was a soldier who had served in the war and had seen some stuff mm. in terms of the tone and then uh i keep trying to figure out a hook for an episode about that, that essentially boils down to uh what is what is the worst uk entry and like it might be crybaby i might i might be back on board with that one being the worst <sighs> yeah it, it's it's a tough listen just like the the performance is bad the song is bad i f- like there are some of these nopal where we can look back with critical eyes and go yo that wasn't so bad it deserved more points and like if you look at the youtube comment section for like any of these songs i have learned there is there is a defender in every comment section but i think they are a few and far between in 2003 Anyway, so after 2003, you have a large drought of the Nopua happening. And that's, I think you can chalk that up to a couple different things. So one, as of starting in like 2003, 2004, the semifinals are here. Uh, things that are not resonating with Europe are getting weeded out at that stage largely. And there's a solid handful of things that don't make it through. And there's like a couple of them that get zero points, like the Czech Republic in 2009. More nations are joining. Uh Make, meaning there's more votes to go around it's harder to get zero points when everybody has points right uh but in 2015 it's back and with a vengeance uh because two of the of the big six that year get zero points technically one finishes higher than the other because it was played earlier in the night yep yeah th- that is my favorite tiebreaker rule where it's like yep yep we just go into running order and uh it was still random at that point no no wait no that's no, right. there was like there was like a little bit of of producer moving stuff around. Right. Yeah, it's it's just drawing which half. Oh goodness. Yeah. Well, <laughs> although although I think Austria drew where they were in the grand final. That's right, they did. Oh man. And like that one <laughs> that one just feels like a bad draw because they were in the middle of the running order. They were like 14th on the night. Mhm. That's that's a tough slot. Yeah. Uh, if you're if you're not sending something dynamic, I like uh the make makes I am yours. I like both of the songs from 2015. I thought they were both fine. It's just like 2015 was, uh, yeah, there, there's just a lot going on that yeah, year. Yeah, well, and I feel like we were, like, when Eurovision again did 2015, I had forgotten, like, how long it took us to get to the first song. Yes. Of the night. And, like, that could also be part of it. It's like, it's a long night. 
televoters are not remembering this one Mm -hmm. it's a like it's a it's a very solid we won this is a good song we do not want to host again song Mm-hmm. Like that, that, that is your goal as the host nation is not to host again. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but to, but to do well and like again, the the make makes made enough of an impression that to to get uh, named in love love peace peace the following year. Yes. Like I dove into the history of like how Black Smoke got chosen mm-hmm. and like it's like this is th- this is mostly just sort of a cautionary tale for Germany bringing back Unterlied of just okay Germany you made this way too complicated in 2015 and look what happened uh, just because. That was around the time that Unterlied was was doing a play-in club show round, which the club winner always, like, for the couple years they did it, always went on to the grand final, or, or always made it to, like, the final round of things. Because, like, you had uh, Is It Right from Eliza, and then Anne Sophie qualifies at the club round with Jump the Gun. So if you look at the format of that Unterlied, uh, performers play one song, so Anne Sophie plays Jump the Gun, qualifies the like four artists that move through then play a different song and that's voted on as well as their first song and whichever one of those goes through or is the top two goes through to the gold final and Anne sophie's song black smoke wins that then in the final it's Anne sophie and andreas kumers andreas uh gets 74 percent of the of the vote in that gold final oh wow yeah like it is decisive Oh, sorry, like 78.7, just like clear winner and then immediately forfeits. Oh, jeez. If you watch the performance, like it's kind of sad because he's just like, yeah, like I'm not like, like visually, I'm not the type of thing that gets sent to Eurovision. Like, well, that's not a, because like his song is great. So now we have a performer who didn't actually win their national final performing a song that they didn't initially win the slot in the final with. So it's just a whole thing. Mm-hmm. Again, thinking about what won that year, it's Heroes which is a very different song from Black Smoke. Yes, it is. Uh (laughs) 2016 brings us into the new scoring system that separates the jury vote from the televote. And that should fix this, right? Like, we're never going to have a null point again because either the jury will like something and the televote won't, and that that doesn't really count, or the televote will like it and the jury won't, and that, again, is not a null point. Yeah, I mean, I I figured that was the theory behind it, just so that they wouldn't have, like, a double null point at the bottom. Yeah, it's it's like, theoretically, this makes it much harder. Uh, It means that we, by splitting these, we can create some drama in the scoring. Once again, we're not going to have, like, what we've had in recent years, where, like, one winner is clearly ahead of the rest. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then 2021 happens. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, Yeah, and, like, (laughs) and Embers rises from the null point ashes and (laughs) proves all of that wrong. It's such a impressive way like i like just thinking in terms of like strategy because like you figured like juries would throw points to one so it's like well this one's not going to win let's just like throw some points let's give that it a way point to, so we're not giving it to our opponents but yeah that it, it's so wild that that happened and yeah it's just, it's just like i'm not sure if just like everybody who's in charge of that country's strategic math points giving just sort of like was asleep on the job or just like there were enough other countries that were like, oh, we'll just give this entry points that just like the, the UK never came up. But yeah, yeah, just like it's it's very impressive. Yeah. I don't know how else you could revise the system to avoid that situation in the future. And I, I think it's still going to be very hard to get another one. But I mean, I say that now, but like, let's just watch uh, what happens in Turin next year. As we have seen, it's not impossible. Yeah. So congrats uk on innovating <laughs> uh and then in terms of congratulations uh i also wanted to look up okay so like uh so i wanted to see who under this 
classification system for getting null point uh, has nulled the most. And Norway is up there with three, but Oof. so is Austria, also with three. Yay? Uh- <laughs> yeah. Congratulations to you. You did it. Yeah. Well, I mean, like Nor- Norway does wear it as a badge of honor. Uh, I don't know if Austria has the same sense of humor about that. Who doesn't but- really want to talk about it. And like, there was a number of years where they just were not in the contest, I think, just from doing poorly. So mm-hmm. they, they seem less they seem less enthused about where Norway's just like, hello, we're here. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, and it's like, there's also that moment when Bobby Sox win in 85 where like the swedish host is just like you guys usually do so poorly (laughs) (laughs) hooray for you yeah yeah Uh, i I think as long as you have the sense of humor about it that that's that's what matters so it it happens it is not the is not necessarily the end of your career there is life after nopois so that's going to do it for this episode of the Euro What. Thanks for listening. The Euro What podcast is hosted by Ben Smith. That's me and Mike McComb. That's me. You can follow the Euro What on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcast app of your choice. If you'd like to support the show, we're also on Patreon at patreon.com slash eurowhat. Show notes and links are in the description of this episode and on our website at eurowhat.com. If you'd like to contact us, we're at Eurowhat on Twitter, or you can email eurowhatpodcast at gmail.com. Next time on the Eurowhat, as selection season 2022 gets underway, we're putting together a tutorial for how Eurovision works for folks who discovered the contest this year. 